Welcome to Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. Are you hungry to hear more about our beautiful Savior Jesus? Well, the Bible declares that grace and peace are multiplied to us in the knowledge of Jesus. Join me for revelatory teaching, interviews with leaders in the body of Christ, and testimonies of God's goodness in your life. Thanks for joining the conversation to reveal more of Jesus to a hurting world today. Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I am your host, Christina, and I'm so happy to have you with me here today. I hope and I pray that you are doing well right where you are and enjoying the continuously flowing favor of grace pouring from our beautiful Savior and Father in Heaven. I've got a great show for you today. Just recently, I had the privilege of sitting down with Dr. Mark Sharona, and uh, he is the author of On the Edge of Hope, No Matter How Dark the Night, The Redeemed Soul Still Sings. And we had a very deep conversation about the suffering that we all experience in this life and how we can begin to walk it out and uh, begin to see redemption unfold in our stories. And uh, Jesus is so beautiful and so kind and so deep in mercy that he is with us. He is no stranger to the afflictions that we face. Uh, This episode is going to inspire you and encourage you uh, to get in touch and to connect with God and connect with who you are in your deepest and darkest moments. And just know that you're not alone. Uh, There's many who right now are suffering. I hope and I pray that it is truly the sincere desire of every leader in the body of Christ to be able to connect compassionately with those people who are suffering. And it's a privilege and honor to let you guys into just a little part of our stories and how God has redeemed us. And so this episode is going to encourage you guys. Make sure you listen to the end for a powerful prayer from Dr. Mark Sharona. But before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our Christina Prayer Ministry sponsors who help support the mission to unite the body of Christ and fulfill the Great Commission with love. A big shout out to Go For Ministries who provides all of our equipment for our gospel events. Davis Financial Services who does all of our financial accounting. Harvest Family Network through which I am licensed and ordained and life-changing productions who helps put together evangelistic events to reach our city for Jesus. If you or your organization are interested in becoming a CPM sponsor, you can find out more information on our website at christinaperera.org. Do you have a loved one special occasion coming up and don't know what to get them? Well, now you can sponsor an episode of Revealing Jesus in their name. And you can give them a special dedication message read on air. It makes a great gift. To find out more information, just go to christinaperera.org slash podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Plexus Living Free. It's hard to be and do all that God has called us to do. World changers, light of the world, when you don't feel your best. Most of the health issues that we deal with today have the same roots of poor gut health, 
blood sugar imbalance, and inflammation. But you can address those issues with Plexus plant-based products. You guys, I have to tell you, I have been on the Plexus bandwagon for the last two months and I'm so thankful. I've noticed some big changes in my body. I have so much more energy than I used to and I'm sleeping better and a lot has changed. So I'm really thankful for that. If you're encountering issues with weight gain and blood sugar imbalance and things like that, I would highly recommend you check out the Plexus products. And I'm so thankful if you click on the link I've provided in the show notes, you can receive 10% off your welcome package and free VIP membership. It's a health assessment quiz. And once you tell them what you need, they'll recommend uh, the right products to fit you best. So thanks so much for being a Revealing Jesus listener. I've got a great resource for you guys today. I've got an amazing book called Chosen, Appointed for Favor, Destined for Greatness by Michelle McLean Walters. And right now it's on sale through Charisma. This book will help show you how you can live in the fullness of your identity as God's chosen ones. I know this powerful resource is going to equip you guys to help fulfill your God-given destiny. We need each and every one of us declaring the goodness of God in this hour. And I'm so excited to bring this to you guys. And as always, when you, when you purchase our resources, you help support Revealing Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that. Without further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Dr. Mark Sharona. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I am your host, Christina, and I am so excited to have you with me here today. I hope and I pray that you are doing well right where you are and enjoying the continuously flowing favor of grace pouring from our beautiful Savior and Father in heaven. I've got a great show for you today. I have an amazing leader in the body of Christ with me here today. He is one of my favorite speakers that I've ever seen. Uh, he is the author of On the Edge of Hope. No matter how dark the night, the redeemed soul still sings. He is an apostolic leader, and he is a uh, a wonderful leader in the body of Christ. I have with me here today, Dr. Mark Sharona. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Christina. It's an honor to be with you. Oh my gosh, the honor is all mine. You know, I don't know how I got picked for this position, but to get to speak to so many incredible leaders like you all over the body of Christ, it is truly a treasure and I'm so deeply grateful and I know that these conversations are touching lives and blessing so many and and I just loved reading through your book on the edge of hope it was such a vulnerable and honest and deeply revelational account of what it means to walk through suffering with God and it is truly an honor I've, I've told our listeners so much about you. Is there something that you can share with them? Maybe something personal just to help get to know you? Well, I'm, I'm an Italian from New York and we wrote the book on dysfunction. If that helps, I mean, <laughs> if there's a dysfunction, we have it all. We, we're, we're the wise guys from the East. So um, I think um, 
with me, what you see is what you get. I, at least I hope that's the case. I endeavor to be as transparent as I know how to be because I think we're living in a day when yeah. as leaders, we owe that to the body of Christ. Amen. Absolutely. And I chuckle because my brother-in-law comes from an Italian family, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wrote the book. I love it. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, I, I love that God still chooses us, even in our dysfunction and our mess. It's truly astounding to me how deeply gracious he is. Isn't it glorious? Oh, yeah, because we definitely are a hot mess. There's no <laughs> question. The, uh, But, you know, the thing about grace is that it's always prior to whatever we think we know or experience. John John Wesley was a very strong proponent of understanding that grace is always prior so that even before we get in the situation, even before we make the decision, even before we make the mistake, mm -hmm. grace is always present and prior. Yes. And that's very comforting. It is very comforting. And, you know, in my experience, the Lord has been so gracious to give me prophetic words before I even knew about the problem that I had. Have you ever experienced that? Sure. I think God will give us hints and nudges um, all along the way. I think sometimes because we're not paying attention, we become dull of hearing. And then um, it's not that God yells louder, is that his voice gets much softer the more distance we put between him and and ourselves, and then we have to face certain crises to find our way back to staying close to the ear of the shepherd. Mm. And you know, it's so interesting to me. One of my other favorite ministers, he always says this. Uh, he always says this about the father. He always says the father knows how to speak to us. And even when we get in those situations where it's dull and it's hard to hear, and maybe we've been wandering through the valley of the shadow of death, he never leaves us. And he knows exactly how to speak to us in those seasons. And we've talked a little bit about your experience and we've maybe gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves, but you had a chapter in your book and I'd like you to share a little bit about that. It's called, if I had seen the bus coming and uh, can mm. you share a little bit about your bus experience? Sure. Um, the book is about, a profoundly painful season that lasted three and a half years from 2007 to almost 2011. So about halfway through 2010. And I, prior to that, you could say that in terms of an outward sign of whatever we may call success, um, all the accoutrements and signs of success were present in my journey, uh, in my life, and yet it wasn't without major stress. Mm. And one of the great challenges I think we face um, in ministry is the incessant drive to keep going, thinking that we can just deal with it later. Mm. And we unconsciously, 
ignore many signals claiming we've got revelation only to discover that what we're running from will actually catch up to us when we least expect it. All of us are headed for a crisis of some sort at some point in our journey. Um, we actually go through more than one, but all of us have at least one big crisis in relationship to who we are and who we are in relationship to God. Catherine Kuhlman said it either comes at the beginning, it comes at the middle, or it comes at the end. Mm. But I have found that statement to be true, and this was mine. And um, there were a number of stresses that were catching up to me, and I was on my way to the Bahamas to speak for my dear friend Miles Monroe, um, the late Miles Monroe, and I had a panic attack on the plane I didn't see it coming. Uh, and it was tied to various stressors that just collapsed in one moment and converged. And in a very inconvenient moment for me, it interrupted my life and became a three and a half year battle with anxiety, depression, mm. and chronic insomnia. Mm. That is so brutal. I, you know, I've experienced some of that um, chronic insomnia in the past. Um, I went through a period of time where I had Lyme disease and multiple other issues. And the biggest struggle for me was the ability to sleep. And if you're not sleeping, it is brutal. It is absolutely brutal. And it's mm -hmm. extremely hard to function. Yeah. And I had uh, to live, I had to live in very painful day tight compartments. Yeah, I'm so sorry that you experienced all of that. Um, you know, when you said this uh, tendency to, to keep going and think that it's not going to catch up with us, I see it not just in ministry, but kind of in the American culture, the whole stuff it down and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And, you know, as a younger person, you know, that's what I was taught in my family. And that's what I did as well. And it's a very dangerous practice because you're right. It does catch up. Yeah. If we look at the stats within the American Psychological Association, generalized anxiety disorder is one of the mental disorders that's in the diagnostic statistic manual of disorders. Mm -hmm. And generalized anxiety disorder is any form of anxiety that has been sustained by the patient for at least six months, if not longer, mm. and has gone undiagnosed or undetected, but has been sustained for six months. And, um, and at that level, it becomes debilitating. Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up in the late 50s, early 60s. So the stats tell us that the average 55-year-old man in 1960 would have been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. Now, this is at the dawn of the information age. Mm -hmm. So technology, in many ways, while it has advanced us, it has also aged us. Mm. So for what was generalized anxiety disorder in the 60s in a 55-year-old man is now present in a 14-year-old sophomore in high school, male or female. Wow. They live with it. That generation lives with it on a daily basis. Wow. That's how far Western society has progressed in the, in the direction towards negative, afflictive, painful thoughts tied to anxiety and what if thinking. Mm. Yeah, that's brutal.
you know, even in, even in my seven-year-old, it's something that we talk about, you know, on a daily basis. We, you know, if she says something like, I feel afraid, or I have a bad dream, I'm always saying to her, let's talk about it. Let's address it. You said quite a few things that I thought were profound in your book, but you said that acceptance is not a dirty word. And I see that as a society, we've been afraid of accepting it. And then also as a church body, we've been afraid of accepting it and owning it. And there's almost been this religious um, platitudes that have just kind of been thrown out and it's kind of kept people trapped in their pain. You know, you talked about uh, the first step to healing is uh, accept you know, accepting it and then acknowledging what is happening. And God is so gracious. He knows, you know, what is happening within us, even before we do, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Can you talk about that a little, uh, about the journey of accepting it and acknowledging it? Sure. I think we, we live in a culture of denial. Yeah. First and foremost. And when I say a culture of denial, I'm not just speaking of the larger secular culture. I am addressing the problem in American Christianity. Mm-hmm. We, we are addicted to magical thinking. By that, I mean, if the Bible says it and I believe it, it has to be true. Well, the scriptures are inspired, but my interpretation of them is not. So that we have this idea that any thought we have that doesn't come from our conscious mind is immediately the Holy Spirit. So that becomes God told me. Well, Mm -hmm. that couldn't be more fallacious (laughs) and more deceptive. A lot of things come from our unconscious. have nothing Mm -hmm. to do with the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two, if I think I can wave a magic wand and just say, well, anxieties of the devil, I rebuke this and it'll go away, the devil's going to say, I rebuke you back. It's not going away because this is not just something going on at a demonic level. These are patterns of thought that are deeply embedded at an unconscious level that have to be faced and accepted. So my challenge was indeed accepting, because I was one of those guys that wanted to believe the magical thinking, even though I trained in psychology and have a graduate degree in psychology and had deep respect for um, clinical therapeutic intervention. Um, I kind of, I, I, up until the kind of stressors that hit me in that season came upon me, I pretty much was immune from a lot of things, but there were just a compilation of things that became a perfect storm Mm -hmm. and I couldn't run away from it. And my struggle was how can this be happening to me? So I had to accept that it was happening to me. The challenge was that I equated acceptance with resignation. Right. And those are not the same. Right. I wasn't being asked to resign myself to the pain. I was simply being asked to accept and acknowledge it. And there's quite a bit in the, in the book that deals in detail with the processes of acceptance. Um, that I think are really important to go through all the filters of denial Mm -hmm. that we tend to ignore or gloss over or not pay attention to. There's a lot that goes on inside us 
that we don't pay attention to that reveals how poor we are at self-awareness in the culture. And there can be no real God awareness until there is self-awareness. St. Augustine, in one of his famous poems, Lord Jesus, let me know myself, let me know you. So he begins with a confession of awareness of the Lordship of Christ, but then that moves immediately into a request for profound self-awareness, which then leads to God awareness again. Mm -hmm. And so sandwiched in between the Lordship of Christ and the awareness of God, I've got to become aware of myself. And all the great doctors of the church and the mystics all will agree throughout church history that you cannot separate self-awareness from God-awareness because they're mm. two sides of the relationship. Mm, I love that so much. You know, one of my favorite mystics, uh, uh, Jean Guyon, I'm just going to butcher her name, but that's okay. Uh, she wrote Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ, and it was a book I'm so thankful uh, that I got a hold of very early on in my uh, newly charismatic experience, and it was very profound, and uh, it really opened up a lot of that for me. You said something interesting in your book, and it relates to exactly what you just said, becoming fully human. And it's this willingness to acknowledge our helplessness, what's really going on inside of us, um, and, and allow the Lord to come in and reveal himself in that, how he sees you, what he thinks, uh, what he believes about you. But unless we are honest with ourselves and with God, we strip him of that opportunity to do so. Um, can you can you share one principle with our listeners to maybe help them get in touch with really what's going on inside of them. Okay. So all of us battle negative thoughts. Sometimes those negative thoughts multiply and they are painful and we experience those thoughts and the emotions that accompany them in a painful way and we are often not aware of the separation between our sense of self from the thoughts we think we are not our thoughts we are not our feelings but when we are in the throes of experiencing afflictive negative thoughts and emotions we tend to forget, I'm not these thoughts, mm -hmm. I'm not these emotions, I'm not these feelings. And as a result of that, we cannot move to wholeness because we don't know how to take a step back and discover that we're not observing what's going on, we're giving into it, and therefore we're not interpreting it correctly. Mm-hmm. And we can end up with interpretations like God must be mad at me. God must have forsaken me. Where did I lose ground? Right. Um, and then, and then from there we get into the cycle of anxiety, which is a feedback loop, yeah. which is rooted in what if thinking and um, it feeds back on itself. And the harder you try to break the yoke of anxiety by resisting it, mm -hmm. ironically, the more power you give it to get a grip on you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's um, so many good things that you said in there, but I love that you mentioned uh, the resistance can actually keep you in it versus the, the uh, acknowledging and accepting 
and uh, looking to the Lord saying, God, I can't, but you can. And uh, I've just found in my own walk that simply uh, resting is um, the most powerful way to deal with it because I've gotten into that, that feedback loop where I've gone to deliverance meetings and I've gone to Sozo and I'm like, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. <laughs> and the worse it got. <laughs> and uh, there's something so powerful in simply looking to the Lord and resting and uh, allowing him to dismantle a lot of those things in his presence. Um, can you share with our listeners some of the things that you talked about some grunt work uh, that you encountered on your journey to getting whole. You know, I found in my own struggle that I too, you know, would have liked things to go away immediately and they did not. And there was a lot of grunt work involved. Um, can you help our listeners understand what that process was really like and how long it took you to get free from some of these things? Well, let's begin with um, when you are in severe anxiety, your body does not rest. Yeah. So that even if you want to be resting in the presence of God, you're still having to deal with the restlessness that is physiological as well as emotional. Mm -hmm. So again, I would... From my perspective, I would say for the person truly trapped in anxiety, resting is a deep desire, but they don't know how to get there because it's not simply, well, let's just rest. Mm -hmm. Clinically, that would not be the way a therapist would approach it. And certainly from a pastoral perspective, as it relates to the work of the spirit, I have to fundamentally come to terms with my humanness and the way God built me and the way God wills his will in me and how I cooperate with that. So I first have to become aware physiologically of where the pain is, mm -hmm. how that restlessness is showing up in me and what it's producing in me. And then I have to learn how to interpret it accurately. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm, I'm going to go back to our magical thinking gets in the way of actually faithful thinking. And so now we're having a therapeutic conversation because my, my psychological background is going to kick in and my understanding of church history and the way the early church dealt with the soul, which is something we don't talk about in our circles, even right now. We don't talk about these things and we think our oversimplified ways of talking about them will just fix it. And it won't. It just won't. So when we're stuck, and there are many that are listening right now that they, they know exactly what I'm saying, uh, which is why I wrote the book. There are many that are listening right now that want to rest, but they can't get there from where they are. Mm -hmm. Now, they can get there, but it's not as simple as saying, let's just rest. There has to come a point where they discern and diagnose, and they may need help to do this. It's not something they can get to on their own because it, the problem didn't start overnight. It won't go away overnight. Mm -hmm. And I'm not ashamed to say I had a pastor that was my best friend who I dedicated the book to who died a day before the book was released. Um, and he walked me the entire time through it. Plus, I had a therapist. Um, and plus, I had a medical doctor because I needed a three pronged approach. God had all of them in my life to help me navigate the chaotic waters that I was facing. So there was no simple answer. 
And what I don't want anyone that's listening who is suffering to think there's a simple answer. There's a sure answer. There's a hopeful answer. There's a solid answer, but it's not a simple answer because we are not simple creatures. We are quite complex. We have realms of our psyche that we are aware of at a conscious level, but the greater dynamic is what's going on unconsciously. And we don't always know how to sort out those unconscious movements of the psyche simply by ourselves. We need someone to mirror those back because when we are going through severe anxiety and depression, we lose our sense of self. We lose our perception of who we are. We lose our sense of our historic journey. And we need someone who is capable and competent to mirror back for us in those moments of loss of perception, who we truly are and remind us of who we are, who we have been so that we can be mindful and then begin to look at the physiological dynamics of the stress that prevent me from sleeping, the endless ruminations that are what if thinking, and the effects that has on my emotions my and my feelings. The difference between an emotion and a feeling, quite simply, is that the emotion is in the mind, the feeling is in the body, which is why we feel it. And so we, we have to come to terms with what C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man speaks of the intellect, the heart, and the gut. That's his way of talking about the body, the soul, and um, the, the, the body, the psyche, and the way we think. And so, again, because I'm greatly concerned in this season for so many that are afflicted, uh, I want them to be aware that the answers are sure. They're, and while we could simply describe them, getting there requires doing a lot of inner work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a journey. You know, I spent over three and a half years in trauma therapy and countless situations, um, sozo meetings and things like that, dealing with the trauma that I faced and I grew up with. And it's never an easy path. It was for me, it was always two steps forward, one step backward. And thankfully, though, God is there in the midst of it all. And he will put people around you who will be God when you cannot hear God. And I love that he is so gracious and so kind to surround us. But I will say that there was almost this fear um, that I found in the Christian circle of going to a therapist or going to a trauma counselor. And that kept me trapped for many years because I thought, oh, I don't want to go to that. I don't want to explore that side of it. I want to stay with the Christian part. But for me, it was essential. And for you, it was essential. Can you? I think, I think for everybody, it's essential. Because yes, I, think I agree. Much, much of the experience-oriented, touchy-feely stuff that we come up with by the quote-unquote Holy Ghost has little substance in church history or in clinical practice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting, too, because I, I had um, spiritual mentors um, in the body of Christ. And unfortunately they met well, but some of the advice and some of the things they gave me because they weren't trained counselors actually kept me trapped. Oh, sure. And that, yeah, that, and we can repeat that story a thousand times. Yeah. 
And it, it wasn't that, you know, they meant well and they loved me and they truly cared, but they just weren't capable of handling what I had experienced. Um, and so it's okay to be, it's okay to seek out help. It's okay to ha have a medical doctor. It's okay to have a spiritual counselor. It's okay to have a trauma therapist and it's all deeply needed. I feel like in this season, um, the Lord is really revealing things and we are all coming to terms with things that have been in our past that we have not been willing to acknowledge or frankly, uh, demonize. Uh, you mentioned something really powerful in your book that I tend to agree with greatly, that there is this tendency to demonize all of our emotions, that every fear is a spirit of fear. And that's simply not the case. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think it's convenient to rely on it's a demon, but it doesn't it doesn't gel first and foremost with scripture itself or with a faithful interpretation of scripture. It doesn't gel with the testimony of the spirit in church history through the apostolic age, the apologists, the patristics, the scholars, and the doctors of the church and the reformers. It doesn't gel with the testimony of Jesus throughout uh, church history in relation to the human condition, but it's become part of the quote unquote technocratic way in which Americans in the 21st century think three easy steps to my deliverance. Yes. And we oversimplify everything. And part of the journey to wholeness requires again, realizing self-awareness is a pretty deep deep issue mm -hmm. and um there's nothing like pain to awaken us to awaken us to the fact that we're not where we thought we were yeah pain becomes a teacher mm -hmm. it does and we have to be willing to at least i found in my case and i'm i'm sure it's probably true with yours but we have to be willing to uh sit in it acknowledge it feel it let it move through instead of yeah trying to bind it up and cast it away. Absolutely. It's got to pass through us. The analogy I use in the book is as a kid growing up in New York, we weren't all that far from Atlantic City or Asbury Park, both big amusement centers. Um, and um, whenever we'd go to Asbury Park or Atlantic City and we'd play the games, not the gambling games, the, 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 the amusement park games where you shoot the duck or you throw a ball in a basket one of the prizes you would get is the is the is the chinese finger trap game mm, which yeah. is the bamboo wrapped up like a right like a weave bamboo and you put your two index fingers in there and they get stuck mm -hmm. and then you get scared that you can't get your fingers out because the harder you try to pull the tighter the thing becomes and you've got to do the counterintuitive thing which mm -hmm. is instead of pull your fingers apart push them together so that the Chinese bamboo weaving can relax and then you slip your fingers out. Mm -hmm. And that's the analogy I use to describe getting in touch with our negative afflictive traps mm -hmm. and letting, let, being with the anxiety without allowing it to create panic. Mm -hmm. um, Solomon says, do not be afraid of sudden fear. 
So don't fear sudden fear. Well, that's an ancient way of describing what a panic attack is. Mm. Now, the challenge is when you are dealing with trauma, you have all of that converging with all sorts of emotions and the trauma triggers memories and imaginations with which set in motion physiological responses because those imaginations, even if they're not real at the moment, they're being relived. And so your body moves into fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So your adrenal response is on high alert. And when your stress response is on high alert, it can get stuck at 50 miles an hour, even though you should be idling at five. Yes. And so all of that becomes really important to understand so you can cooperate with your mind and your body as God desires to bring you back to a place of homeostasis. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned that because I'm sitting here just realizing it's so easy to get stuck in that 55 miles an hour and then translate it over to ministry. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> There was a day, I mean, I was the Energizer Bunny on the platform. Now, I, I enjoy bombastic, I'm a Pentecostal at heart, so I enjoy really great bombastic preaching. But there was a day <laughs> in that, prior to that season, where there was a lot of nervous energy that I exuded in the mm -hmm. pulpit, and a lot of it was tied to the stresses I was going through. Now I look at that and I say, man, that would exhaust me today if I did that. I would never do that again. I it's not that my, in some ways, my style of preaching hasn't changed when I get excited, but in other ways, I don't even speak the same way because I'm, I'm embodying who I am totally differently today than I did back then. Mm. Isn't that amazing how much our subconscious affects even those moments, even the way that we speak and how we act. And it's so interesting. Yeah. For much, for much of our lives, I think we aren't conscious of that. And then there comes a point we have to become aware of all of that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I love that uh, we've talked about acceptance, not being dirty and uh, being aware of it and just acknowledging it. One of the biggest challenges I faced was um, uh, self-condemnation uh, over the way that I felt and what I experienced. And through years of trauma therapy, I realized uh, that these were things that were stored in my body. And there's a great book out there. I'm sure you've read it. It's called The Body Keeps a Score. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's one of the must reads. Yes, 100%. And, uh, you know, I went through, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. I was raised in a very abusive household. And uh, I was, uh, I finally got to the place where the Lord insisted and he said, you need to cut off the relationship right now. It's either your life or theirs. So right. um, it had so deeply affected my health and my well-being. And truly, I had no idea how hurt I was mm. until I cut off the relationship. And let me tell you, the, the PTSD experience, it hit the fan. Oh, I'm sure it did. I suddenly... Uh, yeah had no control over what was happening to my body, to my emotions, to anything. And it was absolutely unequivocally frightening. And I felt so much condemnation over that, um, not being able to control it. And, uh, and I just really had to learn to embrace um, myself in those moments and embrace 
the feeling that was happening in my body or the emotion or, or even the thoughts, even if they were ugly, I would suppress the ugly thoughts because I thought, okay, this is not you, God, this is, you know, I I don't want to be this way. You know, I don't want to think this way. So I'd push him away. And uh, you said something very profound You in your book. You said, I had to acknowledge my voice and the pain to get my voice back. Oh, and, oh can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, so let's use a popular story as an analogy. You remember in Lion King when Simba goes into exile thinking he's the reason mm. his father is dead. Yes. And he comes to maturity and doesn't know he's grown up. Right again, Solomon says, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects man. There comes a point where Rafiki picks up in the wind that Simba is alive. He's a little Anglican New Age monkey. <laughs> I love Simba. <laughs> I mean, I love Rafiki. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of New Agey, but he's 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 some he's enough. He's got a bishop's crozier, so that's good enough to make him a New Age Anglican bishop or something. So, so he 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 heads into the wilderness, into Simba's exile, which is part of the hero's journey. Again, these are mythologies that were used in the ancient world to help people heal psychologically. This is the this is the hero's journey. It's it, it's told again and again from every movie we love. It's the same story told over and over again. We can put the gospel in that in that monomyth. Um, but Simba looks in the water at the behest of Rafiki and sees his father, not knowing it's him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, up in the heavens and the stars, his father says, Simba. Remember who you are. Mm. And <laughs> because he beholds the face of his father in himself. Yeah. James tells us that anyone who looks into their face in a mirror and forgets who they are cannot be an effectual doer. Mm -hmm. And that word for beholding one's face in the mirror is ginomai, the Genesis face, the face of our birth. Well, when Adam opens his eyes, the first person he sees is not himself. Mm -hmm. It's the preexistent Christ who made him right. and formed him. And so that is the face of his birth. Christ is the face of his birth. He forgets that and gets exiled mm. because of sin, which becomes like a disease. And I think when we are in existential crises, that include anxiety and depression and painful, obsessive, oppressive, negative thoughts. And put on top of that demonic oppression because it's there. Yeah. I guarantee that, you know, the demonic is always there. The enemy comes when we're down. So, yes, he is there, but he's not all you have to deal with. But you right. do have to deal with them. And so it's in those moments where we need help being reminded of who we are mm -hmm. so that we can have a sense of I am what I am and I am who I am because of the one who made me to be who I am. And so I am not alone. Mm -hmm. I am never alone. Underneath are the everlasting arms of the father and the everlasting arms of the father. Irenaeus said the father has two hands, the son and the spirit. So no matter how deep the abyss his arms are deeper still, and he catches us up 
in spite of. And so, so I ultimately think that what brings us to wholeness is a deep awareness of how profoundly loved we are. Yes, absolutely. You know, I was, um, I was going through this, uh, this period of time where I was just describing to you that where the complex PTSD hit and, um, the Lord gave me this vision in worship and, uh, he showed me, me as a little girl. And I was standing on this rock that had been whittled and whittled and whittled away until literally there was nothing left, uh, much left to stand on except for one foot and one knee. <laughs> that was all I had left. Wow. And I was ragged. I was poor and I was dirty and my clothes were a mess. And, um, I knew he, I knew, I just, I knew that that was me. And I knew that that was a picture of also the body of Christ. And that was what it looks like when we stand on our love for God instead of his love for us. And then he immediately showed me this vision of me free and whole and healed and clean and running on this spacious land. And he said, this is what happens when you stand on my love for you. And I have never, ever forgotten that vision. And it's so powerful. Uh, it, it's not, it's not, uh, I love him. It's he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. So even in those moments where, you know, we feel like we are flapping in the wind and there is nothing to hold on to, it's his love and his grip on us that absolutely will not let us go. And, uh, that, that was really the thing that saved me, you know, and uh, that and the people he put around me who were Jesus to me in those moments. And I'm, I'm sure that you would you would say the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No question. It's a, I, yeah, and for you, I, it was uh, an, an image. For me, it was a dream. Mm, tell me about your dream. Uh, it's it's in the last. I, if I do, I'll give away the last chapter of the book. Oh, come I, on. <laughs> But um, well, I mean, the dream is pretty complex, but it, 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 I was in a graveyard um, mm. before a, a third century Celtic cross mm. and it was dark, but it turned out to be the door of hope. Hmm. So I'm going to cry. Oh, mercy, Jesus. You love us so much. <laughs> and I, I honestly think, you know, we're just it's only been in the last 30 years in therapeutic consciousness where we are coming to terms in a secular world of learning how to language the things that we experience that are horrific. Yes. As you know, post-traumatic stress disorder was called shell shock, and it was only something that they assumed that World War I veterans struggled with. Yeah. Um. Therapeutic consciousness in the last 150 years has has gone through many iterations, all of them good, which is why we shouldn't demonize it. Yeah. The early church fathers were certainly well aware of these kinds of things. They just named them differently. Mm -hmm. But we do need to understand how to integrate the ancient faith with modern terminologies but the truth is, it's not just war veterans who have seen bloodshed and have been maimed that experience post-traumatic stress. And 
anybody that has been through any sort of a harrowing experience experiences some level of PTSD and some more painful than others. And because we are not as aware as we need to be, we don't minister adequately to those who have been afflicted in that way. And so I do think being informed and telling our stories is absolutely essential. I do too. And for me, it's, it's, I'm in this process of owning my story and I found that in this process, uh, it breaks so much shame off of me and off of others, you know, as you tell your story. And I'm sure that you could say the same, Mark. Yeah, because, you know, you, look, I'm, I'm, a little old, I'm a little older than you. So part of this is age, but part of it is certainly going through those things. You get to a place you don't care what people think anymore if they disagree. Yeah you're free enough to say, oh, this is just who I am. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Love me the way I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But you can't. This is my story and I'm sticking to it. That's right. You know what I always tell people? You're either going to love me or you're going to hate me, but you're going to see me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's healthy. Yeah. That's healthy self-awareness. Yeah. Well, this has been so good, Mark. We went so deep. (laughs) Um, Is there anything burning on your heart that you'd like to say directly to our listeners? And then would you pray for them? Yeah, for sure. I think the one thing that I would want to urge, and I'll go back to that verse, the everlasting God is our dwelling place. Mm. And underneath are the everlasting arms. God is a place, as Robert W. Jensen said, all by himself. Christ is the secret place of Mm -hmm. the Father. And it is in him where we find a safe place to be ourselves. It's not always safe to be in the world we're in. And the kind of pains we endure and the afflictions we face reveal how unsafe the world is. So the truth is, all of us need safe spaces and safe places. That doesn't make us snowflakes. Mm -hmm. That makes us human. Yeah. And the pain that we feel is indeed the initial step to our healing. And I would just strongly encourage all of those that are part of your world, Christina, to allow their hearts to rest in the fact that there is a safe place they live in, in Christ. And the Son and the Spirit are the hands of the Father. And the arms are the ways in which God uses Christ and the Holy Spirit through the sacred text to bring us to wholeness and well-being. Mm. And... um which is why I always tell the saints, pray with the Bible open and your eyes open so that you can hear Christ in the text and not just what you want it to say, but allow Christ, don't just read the scriptures, let the scriptures read you mm-hmm. because they are the word of Christ himself, who is the living word. And that is inspired by the spirit and the spirit is always talking about Jesus The father is the eternally silent one who has said, I have spoken in my son 
And so I've given it all over to Jesus. You want to hear me? Hear Jesus. Mm. And so he's the safe space. He's the safe place. He's the wonderful counselor. He's mm -hmm. the prince of shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. The absence of all things harmful. The presence of all things beneficial. And so, mm -hmm. Father, as we come before you, I thank you for these, my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, whom you deeply love mm -hmm. and will never forsake, showing us that in Jesus, not just 2,000 years ago, but by your spirit through direct experience now, you bring us into that conscious awareness that we are never separate from you. Mm -hmm. Make your sons and daughters aware that the Son and the Spirit are the everlasting arms that support and sustain them and cradle them in your love. Let the scriptures burn in their hearts as they contemplate them and meditate on them. Lead them and guide them by your blessed Spirit into all the truth. Bring them to a place where they are thankful for the skin they are in and glad to be the, the person you made them to be. Bring them to the place where the me you intended them to be, when they say this is me, is the me they enjoy being. Heal them and they shall be healed. Deliver them and they shall be delivered. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much for being with me here, Mark. This has been such a good conversation, and I know it's going to help set a lot of people free. Great. It's been an honor. Well, I hope and I pray that today's episode has blessed you. I will have links from today's podcast and resources in the show notes on cpnshows.com under Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira you'll find additional resources to connect with us and our special guest, Mark Sharona. And be sure to pick up a, a copy of his book, On the Edge of Hope. Until next week, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus. God bless. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I hope today's episode has blessed you. Please subscribe, share it with your friends, and don't forget to sign up for our ministry mailing list for more encouraging content about our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Just text JESUS to 1-833-815-7778. That's 1-833-815-7778. 7778. And of course, it's your turn now to join the conversation. Send me your burning questions, leaders you would like to hear from in the body of Christ, your testimonies, and more. Just click join the conversation in the show notes. And for more information about our ministry, visit us at ChristinaPereira.org. Until next week, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus. God bless.